Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 28 through 43a. Now about eight days after these things, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountains, mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seized him, and all at once he shrieks. It throws him in convulsions until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the greatness of God. This is the word of God. Let us pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I reflected on today's passage, um, I couldn't help but be reminded of the hikes my family used to take uh, together when we lived in South Korea. So at the risk of total embarrassment, here's a picture of my sister and me in front of a water fountain, or waterfall near the summit of a mountain in Korea. I was a very chubby little boy. <laughs> so Koreans love to hike. Hiking up mountains is so popular in Korea, in fact, many consider it a part of Korea's national identity. More than one-third of Koreans go hiking more than once a month. Koreans of all ages make the trek up and down on weekdays and weekends. Even grandparents can be seen making their way up and down the mountain. Here is a picture of a bunch of grandmothers resting after a trip up the mountain. 
So theories abound on why Koreans go up the mountaintop as much as they do. Some say it's simply because of South Korea's shapely topography. Kind of like the saying, if you build it, they will come. We go up the mountain simply because, hey, it's there. The cities are surrounded by gorgeous mountains. You can be in a congested city one minute and be at the peak of a mountain looking down on a stunning view of the entire city the next. Here's a picture of a mountain on the top and then the view that you can see from there. Others say Koreans like hiking for the obvious health benefits. There is nothing like taking a breather from the speed of city life, extremely pressure-filled academic life, where students often stay at school from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m., I kid you not, and 60-plus hour work weeks by hiking up a mountain and revitalizing one's spirit with some fresh air and mountain spring water. And here's a picture of, uh, you got to skip two, one more. There you go. I remember as a child carrying these huge water jugs up the mountain and bringing them back home filled with mountain water. I felt a sense of accomplishment when I got that, those two heavy jugs home. Others still say that South Korea has applied its hyper-competitiveness to the mountains. Who knew that you can make hiking a measure of one's economic status? South Koreans don't climb mountains in t-shirt and jeans. They gear up to the max with expensive hiking gear costing upwards of $1,000. So here's a picture of a lady who is up and she's wearing all sorts of gear, probably most things that you don't need. It is also said that some make the climb to experience a sense of community. It is common to see strangers share a smorgasbord of food at the summit along with some rice wine. And here's a picture of that. Whether the motivation is because it's simply there, because it's good for me, because I can, or I want some rice wine, <laughs> the effect of climbing a mountain has on us seems to be the same. Strangely, we draw strength from it. Amy Robach, a co-host on Good Morning America was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013. She continued to live in fear of her cancer reoccurring. So she decided to do something that makes so much sense. She decided to channel that energy onto climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. In an interview in 2018, she said, quote, now, five years later, I've asked family and friends to help celebrate my survival with something big. 19,341 feet big. Africa's tallest peak, Mount Kilimanjaro. It just made sense for me because I had another mountain that I had to climb five years ago. I had to battle breast cancer, go through a year of hell, as so many women have had and live with a lifetime of fear. Fear of reoccurrence, fear of it coming back. And instead of living in fear, I decided to live defying that fear." End quote. Robach recruited everyone from her 65-year-old father to her 12-year-old daughter for this five-day-long hike. 
their group of ten set out strong, but struggled near the final ascent, where there was 50% less oxygen. But the whole group made it to the summit in the end. At the top, Roebuck tweeted, quote, feeling uplifted, looking back at our journey, end quote. Mountains, we strangely draw strength from them. In today's gospel passage, we know Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. But I also wonder if Jesus went up on the mountain because he needed some encouragement. The transfiguration, the event in our scripture this morning, comes immediately after the incident when Peter declared that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus' reply to Peter was this, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. End quote. Jesus further went on to say, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. While Jesus is our powerful Savior and all, while Jesus always seemed poised and self-differentiated when he ministered to everyone he encountered, I would still imagine that he had to have wrestled. He had to have wrestled with knowing that doing what God had called him to do would eventually lead him to go head-to-head with the most dangerous and powerful authorities. Even without the power of omniscience, limited by his humanness, he had to have known what he was doing would lead to certain death, and death on the cross at that. Much like Amy Robach, I see why he needed Peter, James, and John with him. He needed friends and family, even if they might be prone to fall asleep in his time of need. He needed friends with whom he can share the load. Meditating on this passage in the context of encouragement, this story reminded me of the lesson we receive from the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis, mainly that the Lord provides. God, of course, knows exactly what Jesus needs. What better way to encourage Jesus than to give him a moment, a Star Wars-like moment, with the Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda of the faith? God provides a moment for Jesus to huddle with Moses and Elijah, the great lawgiver and the great prophet, towering figures in the faith. If it's about a basketball game, you bring Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. If it's about Methodism, you might bring John Wesley and maybe Adam Hamilton. But, yet, but Jesus, he needed Moses and Elijah. Their presence said, Dude, don't worry. God's got your back. He had ours. And as if that wasn't enough, cloud came and overshadowed them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. When Jesus heard this, 
I would imagine that he was full of assurance that God was right behind him. His confidence, not confidence, was radiating from his very being. The three disciples saw it as clear as day, visibly on Jesus' face and even clothes. Now, the thing is, I have seen this face before, and I'm sure all of you have seen this face before. I know I have seen it on the face of people like Martin Luther King Jr. When he preached and made you feel like you can do anything, you can walk into any danger because God was with us. And here's a video of that. I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that now. I may not get there with you, but I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. When you have an experience like this, you want to freeze that moment. You want to remember that person that exact way. So how can we blame Peter for wanting to set up camp and stay a while? But they couldn't stay there. They eventually needed to go back down the mountain. Jesus and the disciples had work to do. All the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tells the story of Jesus' transfiguration. That means it's important that we pay close attention to it. Meanwhile, all the accounts of Jesus' transfiguration also continues with the story of a boy possessed by a demon that the disciples seem unable to heal. This story always seems to take a backseat to the transfiguration, if not thrown out altogether. In fact, the suggested gospel passage reading for Transfiguration Sunday today is Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36, and in parentheses, 37 through 43a, meaning we can include it if we so choose or discard it altogether. But I think these two stories are connected, and I think it has to do with the part where Jesus says this, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Now, you might be thinking, oh geez, is Dan going to scold us for being faithless and being perverse? I assure you, far from it. I think I hear these words of Jesus not as a denigrating remark against his disciples, where Jesus is calling them all failures, but as an encouragement from Jesus. I hear Jesus say to the disciples, you will be able to do this too. I hear Jesus say, you are going to be able to do this just like I can. That voice you heard on the mountain through the clouds, that were, were, those were words for you too. The transfiguration of Jesus comes to us at a time when I think we all need a powerful message of encouragement. There's so many issues around us, like domestic violence, issues around climate change, immigration, sexism, racism, terrorism, poverty, divisions in our homes, in politics, 
and division in the church. The list goes on and on. We may feel like there is a shadow of a cloud hanging over us, a shadow of dismay and discouragement. And apathy is not far away. Brothers and sisters, God continues to call us to have a healing influence in these troubled times, to make disciples for the transformation of the world. It's not an easy calling. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminded us that the cost of discipleship is like a call to come and die. While we may not actually have to face death, this path will make serious demands on all of us. It will call us to give up our comforts, our resources, our time, our security, and ourselves. But let us take encouragement. God's worst words pierce the clouds telling us, you are my beloved child, my chosen. You can do it. I'm with you. Let us allow those words to transform us. Now, let's make our way back down from the mountaintop. Amen.